What's up, everybody? It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Coming at you as I love to do every weekday here on ESPN-UP from 4 to 5. And we have a lot to recap. Always say that because there's always a lot happening in the world of sports. Over the weekend, there was a blockbuster NBA trade. I got some thoughts on that I'm going to share with you here in the coming minutes. My Pittsburgh Penguins, they got away with a massive steal at the expense of the Chicago Blackhawks. Eric Carlson is going to be calling San Jose home for the near future. Plus, the Seattle rebuild is in full swing, and the Yankees have another power bat, just what they need. All that and more is coming up over the course of the next hour. Plus, we've got the Wisconsin Sports Update with Charlie Bramer. We're going to take a look at who the Bucks and Pistons could be targeting in this Thursday's NBA draft. Plus, Escanaba softball. Once again, the queens of Division II softball in the state of Michigan. Second straight year. I'm going to be joined by head coach Gary Sello coming up over the course of the next hour. We got College World Series games to update you on and break down. Everybody's played at least once in Omaha up to this point. And Gary Woodland shocks the nation yesterday winning the U.S. Open. He takes it by three strokes over Brooks Kepka. Tiger Woods almost non-existent. But I'm not going to start with any of those. Because I was laughing to myself, I can't stop watching this video that came on Twitter over the weekend. I'm sure you've seen it by now. O.J. Simpson has joined Twitter O.J. Simpson, he's put up three videos at last update. Last time I checked, he had three videos on there. He's talking about how he's got some things to say. For a long time, people have been able to say whatever they want about him with no accountability. And he's got a little getting even to do, in his own words. So O.J.'s got a few thoughts and things that he wants to set the record straight on, according to O.J. I tell you what, I clicked follow, and I can already tell I'm not going to regret it. Because I was just laughing my head off Saturday watching this, thinking about the disaster, the tweet storm that's coming up. I mean, you think the president is on Twitter way too much, saying some stuff he probably shouldn't? Wait till OJ really gets going. I can't wait to see what this account produces. It's already becoming one of my favorite follows on Twitter. But I tell you what, let's go to the NBA because this weekend we got a Woj bomb. And the Los Angeles Lakers have their newest superstar to pair with LeBron. His name is Anthony Davis. A blockbuster trade from New Orleans to L.A. Anthony Davis is going to be a Los Angeles Laker. Tell you what, I'm going to eat my crow. I've got my crow here in the studio. I'm chowing down on it to start this Monday afternoon. Because I said in the show on Friday, Anthony Davis isn't going anywhere. At least he's not going to the Lakers because so many other teams have a better offer. They have more they can offer. Why would the Pelicans say, this is the move we need to make to get guys like Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram? You know what, I'm going to stand by that. Because New Orleans did not come out of this trade with as much as they should have. I think they blinked. Yeah, you want to get as much as you can for Anthony Davis. You want to maximize that. But the return ends up being Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round picks, including the fourth overall pick this Thursday. So the Pelicans are going to draft number one and number four overall this year. Plus, they have two future first. However, they've got Lonzo Ball, a guy who shot below 50% from the foul line. Brandon Ingram, a guy who I just don't see panning out in the NBA. Just never been high on him after Duke. And Josh Hart, who's the best player, the physical player, not a draft pick that they got back in this deal. They didn't even get Kyle Kuzma. They blinked. New Orleans blinked. They panicked after the Celtics said Jason Tatum was off the table, which, by the way, was the right move. 
Hang on to Tatum. I want him for the long term instead of Anthony Davis for one year. Because AD said he's not re-signing with Boston after this season. Once he hits free agency, then he's going to go off to L.A. So that was the right move on Boston's part. Now Boston has some clarity and direction as they prepare for the draft this week. So let me know, do you agree? Did New Orleans blink? Because I'm kind of fighting myself on this. On one hand, they should have got Kyle Kuzma. They should have went after Kyle Kuzma. Because even though the clock's ticking on Anthony Davis, you want to make sure you get something for him before he walks in free agency. Was it worth it getting Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball? Sure, you got some draft picks, but those only matter if you hit on those draft picks. How much do you trust David Griffin to nail the draft picks they got from the Lakers? It's a no-brainer. Zion's going to go number one overall Thursday night. He's going to be taken by New Orleans. After that, probably John RJ. Maybe New Orleans didn't blink. I'm fighting myself here a little bit, but I want to make sure I have all my bases covered. Maybe they really have their sights set on somebody at number four overall. This deal tells me either they panicked, they didn't think they can wait and get Kuzma, or they really, really like somebody at number four overall, and it's not RJ, Zion, or Ja Moran. So who could it be? Who could the prize be that the Pelicans are looking at? Another thing to think about is where is the greatest need for New Orleans? Because it was announced today that Julius Randle is opting out of his contract and he is going to become a free agent. So if you need a little post help, this may not be the draft for it. Because there's a lot of good guards. There's a lot of talented ball handlers and shooters, especially up there in the draft board. But there's not a lot of talented big men. I mean, if you're talking best available stretch fours or true fives, Roy Achimura? Four might be a little high for him, but the six foot eight forward out of Gonzaga might be the best available that could fit New Orleans' need. You could go way down and go after Bull Bull, seven foot two center out of Oregon. Problem is, he missed most of the season with injury. It's a huge risk. You don't know what you're going to get out of him. That's where New Orleans is sitting. But the move that they made, that they got that number four overall pick, that they were willing to forego Kyle Kuzma, not get him back in return. That tells me they have their sights set on somebody real special at number four, and that excludes Zion, RJ, and John Morant. So what about the Lakers, their new look? They've got LeBron, they've got Anthony Davis, and suddenly they have skyrocketed up Vegas' title odds. I tell you what, Vegas isn't wrong to do that, even though they did that before this trade even happened. I thought that was wrong. The Lakers will be a good team this year. Certainly should be a contender for the Western Conference. I still think they're one piece away from winning an NBA title. They need one more guy. So who's that guy going to be? Kyrie Irving last week made it clear that he wanted to sign with Brooklyn. Do you think he still wants that? Or does he want to go join his old pal LeBron and try to make the Lakers an NBA champion? It'd be a whole heck of a lot better situation in L.A. rather than Brooklyn. Brooklyn, he'll be in the same role as the 1A, the true alpha of the team, but paired with far inferior coaching and talent. L.A., he can be one of the top-tier players, but doesn't have to be the alpha. He is a perfect 1B, and he gets the chance to do that alongside LeBron again. They combined for a title back in 2016, and his presence would make the Lakers the clear-cut favorite. I'm not sure that he's going to do it, though. Kemba Walker would be another guy you would want to go after. I tell you what, I think Kemba's going to resign. I think he's happy with where he is in Charlotte, I don't think he's going to L.A. Kawhi Leonard, that would be another target. The Lakers have announced they are going after him in free agency. 
which really isn't a surprise to anybody. But I don't think Kawhi's going to go there either. He doesn't need to share the love. He just led a team really without another true superstar to an NBA title. They had a lot of talented role players, guys step up. But Kawhi Leonard doesn't need LeBron and Anthony Davis to make him a title contender. He's going to do that himself wherever he goes. For me, the most realistic possibility is Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler's got a good shot to be a Laker when it's all said and done. Opted out of his contract with Philly, he's not going to be a 76er next year. That's a huge loss for Philadelphia. He should have been priority one that they needed to re-sign. Because I don't see the process of Embiid and Simmons as your top two ever working out. I just don't. So now Philly's got to pivot and keep Tobias Harris. But I think there's a real shot Jimmy Butler could go to L.A. It's a fun city. He's got a chance to be a winner. And he's in a similar situation as Philadelphia. He's one of three top-tier guys in the NBA on one team. But LeBron and AD are better than Embiid and Simmons. That's what makes this move attractive for Jimmy Butler. That's why I think that's the move that he makes. I tell you what, there was a lot going on over the weekend outside of basketball. The Seattle Mariners are in full tank mode. They decide to move Edwin Encarnacion. And wouldn't you know it, the New York Yankees are the recipients of him. He will make his Yankees debut tonight. And just what they need, another power bat, the Bronx Bombers. Right now, if I had to pick who would win the American League, I want to say Minnesota. My heart says Twins. My brain says Yankees. So the Yankees continue to get better. Seattle's rebuild continues. The Mariners are in a situation where they need to move any part they can. Because as bad as they are this year, their farm system is arguably the worst in all of baseball. They don't have a lot to look forward to. They need to get great returns on investment. Because there's not a lot of reason to be optimistic if you're a Seattle baseball fan right now. Not now, not in the future. Unless they turn that farm system around right now. Some hockey news over the weekend. A big trade made by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Really a steal as they pick up Dominic Cahoon in exchange for Olimata. Now I tell you what, I like Olimata. When he was a 19-year-old back in 2016, he was the best defenseman on that team behind Chris Letang. Helped lead them to the cup. He's just never been the same player since. He's been quietly but consistently slowing down. His production isn't what it used to be. So the ever-shrewd Jim Rutherford flips him for Dominic Cahoon. Cahoon was awesome last year in Chicago during his rookie season. 13 goals, 37 points. He played in all 82 games for Chicago last year. Plus, Pittsburgh got a fifth-round pick out of it. What's more, this deal also freed up $3.2 million in cap space for Pittsburgh. This was absolute highway robbery. Other NHL news and notes, the Sharks signed Eric Carlson to an eight-year deal. He's going to gain over $11 million per season. He's the best offensive defenseman in hockey. I said earlier the Sharks need to make resigning him priority one. They do. As a right move by San Jose. Ottawa has re-signed Anthony DeClaire. He's on a one-year contract worth $1.7 million. Dallas Eakins is expected to be the next head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. They had interviewed Scott Sandlin out of Minnesota Duluth, but Eakins was 36-24-8 last year with the San Diego Gulls, Anaheim's AHL affiliate. 52 years old, he hasn't been in the NHL since 2015 when he was fired by Edmonton. But it does appear that Eakins is going to get another shot at the NHL. He is expected to be named the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. And Carl Hagelin is going to be staying in D.C. The Capitals locked him up to a four-year, $11 million deal. 
Well, I tell you what, Women's World Cup soccer continues, and so does the U.S.'s dominance. They beat Chile yesterday 3-0. Elsewhere in that group, Sweden 5-1 winners over Thailand. Carly Lloyd set a record in that game. She found the back of the net in the 11th minute to get the scoring going. She sets a new record scoring in her sixth straight World Cup game. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your stat of the day. Last thing before we go to break, Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open yesterday by three strokes over Brooks Kepka. I don't know many people who had Gary Woodland as their U.S. Open favorite, but he gets it done. The wind wasn't really a factor, but the cold sure was. I don't know if that affected Tiger Woods or not, but he largely underperformed in this tournament. And I'm starting to wonder, as fun as it was seeing Tiger win at the Masters a couple of months ago, was that a fluke? Because Tiger out there in the cold, a 43-year-old with four back surgeries, could almost hear his back creaking and cracking as he made his way up the course. I'm just not sure we're ever going to see the dominant version of Tiger Woods again. It was a great comeback back in April winning the Masters, but can we call it a comeback? Was that the real Tiger? Or was this the real Tiger, what we saw over the weekend? With that, let's take our first time out. When we come back, Charlie Bramer's going to join me with the Wisconsin Sports Update Plus... Who to keep an eye on for this Thursday's NBA draft if you're a Bucks or Pistons fan? All that and more coming up next as we continue on here in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along in this Monday afternoon. Charlie Bramer joins me. We're ready to break down everything in the world of Wisconsin area sports. Plus, we'll take a look at this week's NBA draft. What's up, Charlie? Oh, Tanner, it's a beautiful day outside and fun Wisconsin sports, just like always. Every week never disappoints. Yeah, the Brewers get the win over the Pirates yesterday, 5-3. to three. Now they get to play uh, the Padres with their high-octane offense they suddenly found this weekend. Yeah, and it was, uh, well, they took three out of four from the, from the Pirates, and, uh, and then they dropped two out of three from the Giants. So go figure, mm-hmm. and, and it, that's just the way the Brewers season has been going. And, and you know, the team eventually is going to have to click enough on all cylinders to not be losing two out of three to teams that are below 500 like that. And, and you know, splitting, splitting with teams like Houston, you can, you can accept that. You yeah. know, hitting three home runs off Verlander, winning in extra innings, you can take that. But, but this losing two out of three business to the Giants, it just has to stop. I tell you what, how confident are you in Chase Anderson? Where's your confidence level with him right now? You know, he's a guy that has all the ability in the world, and I'm a huge fan of Chase Anderson. But yesterday, you know, his fastball's 92-93. I think maybe he touched 94. The start before that, um, he, he was touching 97. So it's like, what is he going to give you on any given start? And and I believe he had six or seven days rest this last time. So, you know, you can't be like, oh, arm fatigue. You know, this time of the year, some some guys, it catches up to them. You know, this is a time of year where it really starts to set in on their bodies a little bit. And they, they really got to get in the groove of things. And uh, some some pitchers will really struggle this time of year. 
partic- more particularly young guys. So you expect a guy like Chase Anderson to just be starting to get into his groove. Right. And it's just not really happening. Guys like Ulysse Chassin, you know, where are these guys? They've really got to step it up because the Brewers cannot be losing games. You know, can't be losing 7-8 to eight to the Giants. If you're scoring seven runs, you have to win that game if you're going to be in contention. Yeah, what are we going to get out of Ulysse tonight coming up against a red-hot Padre offense? His ERA sitting at 574. He's opposed by Joey Lachesi. Yeah, and, and what I've seen from Joey is, you know, he's got top-of-the-line starter potential. So, and, and Ulysse has not shown any of that this year. Um, and, and he's just like Mr. Hanging Slider. So, so I mean, his first start back off the DL, he, he says that he's had this same back issue almost his whole career going back to, to his days with the Rockies. So, so is he a guy, you know, these guys that throw a lot of breaking balls, um, a lot of times their first starts back after, after being away from the team for a while can be a little suspect. You know, it takes a while to get that breaking ball feeling back. So hopefully being a veteran, he can step right back into it because the Brewers need that pitching. You know, I was on here a couple months ago and we were saying, oh, you know, they signed Gonzalez, things are stabilizing. And then, and then they've just slowly kind of started to, to, the boat has kind of started to sway and the waves have picked up a little bit and, and, and something's got to come and calm those waters because it's, it's, it's really, I, I, I just can't stress it enough for this team to be successful and hang with the Cubs. You know, Kimbrell's going to be activated. I, ha- I don't know if he's been activated yet. I haven't looked at that. The Brewers are lucky to be in first place right now. I guess we can just put it that way, and they need their pitching to, to step it up to maintain that position. Well, it should be an opportune week for them. They've got the Padres for three games and then back home to take on the Reds. But if there's any saving grace with the Padres series, as well as they've been playing offensively right now, the Brewers don't have to see Chris Paddock. That is a great – thank you for that. Thank you for that. And, you know, I think Ryan Braun is, uh, you know, career leader um, in many offensive categories for as far as away players um, for there their in San Diego. I know that's kind of known as a pitcher's friendly park. But uh, over Braun's career, he's crushed him. So hopefully he can find himself in that lineup all three days. Well, I tell you what, the Brewers have pretty much been the only Wisconsin team in action, although I did see the Badgers landed a pair of twins, Badger Hoops. Yeah, um, they landed... Davises, they, I think. Yeah, they landed the, the twins from... from uh, they were playing from Marquette. That is a huge addition. Big time. Big time addition, you know, because the Badgers had some decent recruiting classes, you know, guys like uh, Kobe King, and, 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 they, and they've come in and just really underwhelmed. Of course, you know, being as young as they were, you know, you could expect to give them a, a little time here. But, yeah, the addition of these twins, I mean, whew, their last big transfer was probably, in all of their sports, was probably Russell Wilson all those years ago. <laughs> so they, we don't get many many big-name guys transferring to Wisconsin. So so that's really exciting. I, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and one other thing, people, if, if you're out there listening, you're Brewers fans, we've really got to get the vote out. Uh, I, I know, like, when does it ever stop? People are always being told to vote, right? We've really got to get the vote up for the All-Star game. It, it's just an abomination that Yasmani Grandal was fifth mm. in All-Star voting for uh, National League catcher. That's just fifth in the National League, and he is the best offensive catcher in all of baseball. And, and guys like Mike Moustakis, um, he's fourth in the NL in slugging. 
you know, we we got to get these guys up up in pole position for for the All Star game. We want to see some Brewers starters. Got to vote for some Tigers as well. I don't think that they have anybody in the top five in any category. I'm not sure who they would have representing. Yeah, yeah, they'll Shane Green. Yeah, they'll they'll find somebody. They'll have their representative. I remember those years those years with the Brewers. Oh, yeah, where the Twins went through a lot of those too. Y- yep, and so it's a lot of fun now being able to say, you know, oh, well, we have a catcher that's leading. Major offensive categories, so you know, and obviously Kristen Yelich should be a starter. Josh Hader should be in the game, but you know, it's it's just it really goes to show you know how the markets play such a big. They have such a big impact in that stuff. I love All Star Weekend. Love I love everything about it. Me too. I love All Star Baseball. The Home Run Derby. It just for some reason I don't know if it's nostalgia or what. It just never gets old for me. I can't wait for it to come. It's early this year. It's July 9th in Cleveland. Yeah, and. And um, I cannot believe how how quickly that's ascending upon us. It's going to be here in no time. The Brewers only have one off day um, between here and the All Star break, so Mm. they got to pick it up. And and you know it's so much fun. You you like to be able to say, "Oh, my team's in first place going into the All Star break." That's just always kind of a you know that's a real that's a point in the season where you can really look at things. And 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 you know the trade deadline. Some guys are really going to have to pick it up. Travis Shaw had some opposite field singles this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Aguilar had a huge, a massive uh, pinch hit home run yesterday. So hopefully the Brewers don't have to make those major offensive. Uh, moves that I've been dreading. I do not want them to cut ties with Jesus Aguilar as my favorite player. Well, I tell you what, voting for the All-Star game ends on Friday already, so get your votes in while you can. Tell you what, the NBA draft is Thursday. We get to see the newest class of players making the transition to the pros. I tell you what, we've done a little bit of work looking at who the Bucks and the Pistons might be targeting. And this is a tough one to look at, Charlie. It's really unpredictable. You've got a lot of talented ball handlers. There's not a lot of big men that are, you know, really stars coming out of this draft. Once you get by Zion, Roy Achimura, and if you really want to take a risk, there's Bull Bull out of Oregon, seven foot two, but he missed most of last season. I don't know where a lot of teams are trying to satisfy their post needs if they're going to be able to get it done in this draft. Yeah, and and you know it's interesting you bring that up that particular position because there are guys that were all Americans at that position that that aren't even probably going to get drafted. You know, like I'm specifically speaking on Ethan Happ. You know, uh, he'll probably he probably will get drafted at some point in the second round, but he's definitely not a lock to stick in the NBA. So it's kind of funny right now how. There are some players that really, really produced in the NCAA level, and and we're not sure what we're going to get out of them in the NBA draft this year. I think there's going to be a lot of players that are you know second round guys that we really see contributing to teams next year and and playing some big role minutes. I just really couldn't tell you who they are because, I mean, just looking at this the draft landscape and looking at it from last year, I never had the Bucks picking Dante DiVincenzo was not on my <laughs> radar at all. So I, I was trying to get go through and look at this. You know, who are the Bucks realistically going to be looking at? Who are they going to take? And it also makes it so hard because so many of their players are free agents. You know, who, who are they going to bring back? Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon has a really good chance of coming back, being that restricted free agent. A lot of money is going to go into this next year, and they're going to have their caps on these guys. And and if another team wants to pay Malcolm more than what the Bucks have him 
I mean, it's just it's going to be tough for them to keep everybody. So I'm not sure who they're going to lose, but you know, it's going to be somebody out of that core is going to be gone. And are they going to be able to replace them through the draft? Probably not. It's just going to be such a mishmash, and and obviously that's going to affect what the what the Bucks are going to be doing for the draft. And I just can't foresee that. The Detroit Free Press put out their latest mock draft. No surprises in the top three. Zion to New Orleans, number one overall. John Morant to Memphis, and then R.J. Barrett to New York. New Orleans is now picking at number four via the trade with the Lakers over the weekend. They probably need a little bit of post-help. Julius Randle is opting out of his contract. He's going to be a free agent. So right now, the Detroit Free Press has the Pelicans selecting DeAndre Hunter and then Cleveland taking Jarrett Culver fifth, the sophomore out of Texas Tech, a big part of their uh, run to the NCAA championship this year. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and a lot of these guys, it, it, it could just be so mixed up and, and, and trades, and obviously, you know, so much changed with the Anthony Davis trade. And, and um, you know, looking down, looking at the Sports Illustrated draft, you know, they got Keldon Johnson, and that, that's a pick that I've seen more, it, it's kind of more of a consensus type pick for, for uh, the Pistons there. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. He, you know, the guard out of Kentucky, and the Pistons need wing players. So, so that's a guy that I was kind of like, okay, you know, that, that's a pick I see as a real strong possibility. But then you have a lot more scrolling to do to get to the Bucks, And by the time you, you, you get there, just about every draft has, has them taking somebody else. The Detroit Free Press, 15th overall, they have the Pistons selecting Nickel Alexander Walker, the Virginia Tech sophomore guard, 6'6", 204 pounds, 20 years old. At that point, once you get to number 15 overall, I don't know, especially in the NBA where it's so condensed that you can have a mid-first rounder where you may not be selecting by position. You are looking at the best player left on the board, and it would make a lot of sense for him to be the best player on the board. And I think Pistons fans would be pretty happy with that pick. I think so, too. And, and you know, if you're going best available player, even that alone can have its different a different meaning for each, each uh, general manager selecting. You know, how much stock do they put into ceiling? Or, or floor for a player's potential. I, I've been surprised at how many drafts I've seen Bull Bull falling into the 20s. You know, uh, the one I'm looking at now, Sports Illustrated, has him going 23rd overall to the Jazz. Mm. But I would think that if he's still available at 15 for the Pistons, you don't, you almost have to jump all over that just because of his potential alone. We've seen what he can do scoring it into the post. You know, at the college game is a lot different than in the NBA. You know, scoring, uh, obviously if he's playing for the Pistons, he'd be matching up with, in the post with guys like Giannis quite a bit. And, and it's going to be a lot more difficult. But those long arms, man, that translate. The, that shot-blocking ability, that does translate. So him having that much potential, it, it does surprise me to see him fall that far in, in many of the mock drafts. Do you think that there are comparisons to him and Thon Maker, guys that play the post? You don't really get a sample of them from college ball because Thon went right out of high school. I think the upside for Bobo could actually be better than Thon Maker. I think the upside for Bobo, and, and this is me really really eating some words here because I was always so high on Thon Maker. But, yeah, I, I would have to certainly agree. I think his ceiling is a lot higher. I think he has a lot more potential. Um, and who knows, you know, Thon could still hit that and, and get, get his train going on the tracks in the right direction. And, and Bull having that size, and, you know, he's just got, like, the, the pedigree, you know, and, and you just love to see that um, in an NBA player, the, the lineage, so to speak. 
How about this? A blast from the past. Tell me if you remember some of these guys. Every Pistons first round draft pick since the year 2000. You think that they'll hit on one of these picks? You just got to look at some of the guys they've taken. The year 2000, they picked 14th overall. Mateen Cleaves. Oh, yeah. Guard out of Michigan totally State. Mateen Cleaves. 2001, ninth overall pick. Rodney White out of North Carolina, Charlotte. 2002, they picked Tayshawn Prince, 23rd overall. That one worked out pretty well. Yeah, Tayshawn, wow. It's it's hard to even fathom that that was way back in 2002 already. This one's going to hurt. 2003, number two overall, Darko Milicic. Yeah, we all remember the Milicic pick and... Uh... Oh, and, and who they passed on. That, that, that changed the franchise. You know, it's kind of funny because they went on to win so much yeah. so soon after that pick. But imagine, you know, if they would have hit on somebody. Mm-hmm. if they We know the players they could have taken. 2003, 25th overall pick, Carlos Delfino. They took him out of Argentina. Yeah, and Carlos Delfino ended up being a big-time role player for the Bucks for a long time. Uh, he, he, was a, he, he had a scoring pedigree for sure. Good defender with a scoring pedigree. He was, he was a great player. 2005, they went 26th overall. Jason Maxiel from Cincinnati. He was in the league for a while. Yep, made a little career of it. Definitely. 2007, they picked 15th overall. Rodney Stuckey out of Eastern Washington. And Rodney Stuckey, he's still around. He's still he? around. He's yep. still around. He's still. Tell you what, so is Aaron Afalo. They took him 27th overall back in 2007. 2008, 29th overall, D.J. White out of Indiana. That was a short-lived career with him. They traded yeah. him to the Thunder. And D.J. White, he he had uh, he coming out of college, he had some mm-hmm. real he had some real potential upside. 2009, 15th overall, Austin Day out of Gonzaga. 2010, 7th overall, Greg Monroe from Georgetown. Oh wow! And then Brandon Knight, 8th overall in 2011. Wow, this draft, all these names, you know, like mm-hmm. especially, you know, the Greg Monroe and the Knight pick. I mean, there's real talent. They really hit on talent that just for some reason or another it just wasn't hadn't been panning out. That's it's so funny. It's there's kind of a pattern here. Here's one that did pan out pretty well. Two thousand twelve ninth overall, Andre Drummond. Yeah. That was a good certainly, one. Certainly, certainly. It's kinda of hard to believe he's already been in the league that long too. In in the Greg Monroe pick, you know, you say twenty ten. It seems like that was just a few years ago. Here's uh, here's one that didn't pan out nearly as well. 2013, eighth overall, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Yep, right. Ouch. He's he's still kicking it around in the NBA, literally. <laughs> eighth overall in 2015, Stanley Johnson. I thought at the time that'd be a better pick than it probably turned out to be. Yeah, and Stanley Johnson's a guy, you know, with his outside scoring ability, if he gets on the right squad, he, he could make an impact. 18th overall in 2016, Henry Ellenson out of Marquette. And then 2017, 12th overall, they took Luke Kennard, who I still think is going to turn into a pretty good pick. I think Luke Kennard's a solid role player in the NBA. Plays plays a tough defense and can score from the outside. There's always room on any roster for guys like that. So who will Detroit take with their first-round pick, again, at number 15 overall this year? I can't wait for the draft. I love draft day, no matter what sport it is. But this is going to be a lot of fun to see how it all plays out. Looking a little further down the list, the Detroit Free Press put this mock draft together, and Milwaukee is drafting 30th, and the Free Press says that they are going to go with Bruno Fernando, a sophomore out of Maryland, six foot ten, two 237 pounds, 20 years old. Can't go wrong with some size. Sports Illustrated has him going number 27 to the Nets. Okay. And um, they have the Bucks taking KZ Akpala. I've heard his name pronounced, and now I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing <laughs> it correctly. But he he's the forward out of Stanford. 
he's just one of those athletic wings, you know, that he's got the athleticism and the size for the NBA. You know, looking for some defense out of, out of that pick potentially. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Glad to have you along for the Wisconsin Sports Update. Plus, we preview the draft Thursday night. Appreciate you as always, man. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Tanner. Don't forget, people, vote Brewers for the All-Star Game. <laughs> Let's take another time out. When we come back, Gary Sello from Escanaba Softball will join me. The Eskimo State Champions again. We'll talk about it next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Gary Salo from Escanaba Softball will join me in just a moment. But first, your Sports Center update. This weekend, the Rockies and the Padres set a new major league record for combined runs scored in a four-game series with 92. The previous record was held by the Phillies and the Dodgers. They scored 88 runs in a four-game series back in 1929. First of all, it was the dead ball era. And second of all, all National League teams. You would think American League teams have that extra batter, have the DH, that they would be the ones to set the record. Apparently not. Babe Ruth's road gray Yankees jersey from 1928 was sold for $5.6 million on Saturday. That is a new record for the most expensive piece of sports memorabilia ever sold at auction. And finally, the Goodyear blimp is the official bird of Redondo Beach, California. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you once again. Glad to have you along. Over the weekend, the Escanaba Lady Eskimos repeated as Division II state softball champions. I'm joined by head coach Gary Salo. Gary, appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on your state title. Oh, thank you very much. It, uh, it takes a lot of people. Uh, I, got, I got a great, great uh, parent group, uh, awesome kids, and uh, really, really good, solid uh, uh coaching staff uh everybody carried over from last year that uh was on there and uh you know hats off to girls tell me about the transition becoming the head coach back in march and what your vision was for the program yeah back in march we kept everything almost identical um uh andy fields came back uh ralph ray is just a great volunteer he split time between bay uh, college softball and us, and, and Mark Lydia is just a workhorse of our uh, our staff. He, uh, between the field, uh, batting practice, he, that guy pitches for hours, hours. So we kept the same exact mentality that we had with uh, head coach Jamie Sigorski, um, trying to do all the little things right and uh, just uh, giving these kids the opportunity. Well, tell me about your run down to the state championship playing down there in Lansing and how we eventually came to get the win over Lakeshore. Absolutely. You know, nothing came easy. Um, the girls had a gigantic target on their back from the very get-go. Uh, we scheduled the, the toughest schedule we possibly could, could take on this year. Um, uh, played Millington. Millington won a state title. Uh, we lost to Clarkson down in the Ann Arbor tournament. Um, Ann Arbor, we knocked off uh, Saline. And uh, we just we've, we've tried to put the kids in front of the, the biggest schedule we could. And then, uh, you know, the, the playoffs is all about, you know, we, we talked to the girls that uh, it's not about winning the game, it's about winning each individual inning. And uh, we had a lot of nail-biters along the way. Tell me about having that target on your back to start this season, especially being a first-year head coach. Was that a process trying to get the girls to believe in that, or was it something that they've dealt with before? 
Well, and you know, going into the year, we replaced six starters, and that's just a huge turnover, and uh, that's the entire infield. And, uh, you know, the girls knew that they were good. We've got a really solid um, travel program that got those kids ready uh, to step right in and play all those positions. And uh, it took a little while for the girls to, you know, truly see how good that we possibly could be and uh, to live out that dream. Oh, you scheduled as hard as you could, and you still came out of it 34-3 and with a state championship. Tell me how you've seen the team grow and progress from last year to this year. Absolutely. Uh, we took off, went to Wisconsin a couple times, and uh, we were tested early. Um, we played Katana at their place to open up the year. Um, they're a really, really good uh, softball program, and they invited us down. We spent the whole day practicing because uh, we hadn't been outside yet, and uh, ended up winning there, uh, went to Point X, uh, went to Ashwaubenon. So we tested the girls. Um, and we, we try to see as many quality pitches as we could because, you know, softball is about, you know, what, what can you put on the mound, uh, both uh, offensively and defensively, and uh, what uh, just uh, trying to give the kids the opportunity to see as many elite pitches as we could. Well, Gabby, with 10 strikeouts in the win on Saturday, a big reason why you were able to capture the championship. Tell me about the way that you've seen her continue to develop and progress. Yeah, she's a hard-working kid. Every year, uh, she's gotten better and better. Um, her her strikeout-to-walk ratio is off the chart. Uh, I think she piled up 351 strikeouts or thereabouts. Uh, walks, she keeps them to a minimum. And uh, that's even calling a hard game. Um, we'll make her throw in just about every pitch on a 3-0, 3-1 count. And that's you know what makes her the, the special pitcher that she is. Oh, Gary, tell me about the moment you won the state title. What was your first reaction? What did you address the team about afterwards? You know, I, it was great. Um, uh, the semifinal game when we were down one nothing. Uh, as soon as Nicole Kameen hit that uh, two-run homer, I think that's when the, the idea really got in their minds of how close we were. And You know, on the ride over to uh, uh, Michigan State the morning of the finals, uh, we talked to the girls in the back of the – uh, bus, and we just said, uh, you know, you're a great, great softball team, and you know, getting a state title is, is you know, puts you on the map. But I said, uh, you know, getting that second one, well, that's what legends are made of, and you know, you have an opportunity in front of you that no other team has ever had for us. Of, you know, you won that first state title. Can you go get that second one? Oh, Gary, I know you lost quite a bit from last year's state championship team. Was there any shell shock your girls had to overcome at the arena in Lansing? Uh, you know, that's off. It, it just kind of goes to the quality of the program that we have, how the kids have been prepared over the years. I got three awesome assistant coaches that get kids ready. Andy Fields, uh, Ross Rayhoy, uh, he bounces between Bay uh, College and uh, also Mark Lutier. So, you know, uh, in terms of trying to replace that many kids, it's pretty daunting. But at the same time, uh, not only did the kids buy into it, but the coaches bought into that task. Tell me about the trip home. It's a long one, but when you've got the state championship in hand, it's got to be a whole lot easier. Oh, yeah. It took a heck of a lot longer to get there. You know, the, the districts uh, districts are hard. And, you know, when we got to the regional, Joe Coletta's Oak Ridge team, uh, that's a nine-inning, one-nothing game. Um you can't ask for a better environment than that. And then, uh, you know, to go off to Central, um, you know, 
every single game that we had was a true test. And, you know, we told the girls early in the year that you're going to get everybody's best game, and uh, we got that and then some. Talking with Gary Salo, the head softball coach at Escanaba. The Eskimos repeat as Division II state champions on Saturday. Well, Gary, tell me about how the community of Escanaba and the school district support the softball program. Oh, yeah. Um, our fan club's awesome. Our fan club is, uh, they take on the daunting task of uh, providing uh, transportation and um, hotels for uh, postseason play and just all the other stuff that goes on throughout the year. So, you know, uh, it's amazing what our fan club does. Our, our community is great. Um, Jack Hall, uh, we get a great coverage on the radio. We get all different kinds of things. But, you know, it's, it's heartwarming and touching that, you know, when you win a state title, uh, we had a police escort from, from Manistique all the way home. And, you know, when we got, when we got home, it's, uh, it's really cool to see the, the, the community come out and support the girls as much as they did. Well, Gary, a lot of times when a UP team goes downstate, they feel like they've got the support of the entire Upper Peninsula. Did your team feel that way? Oh, we had that and then some. You know, like I said, uh, uh, just the way social media is nowadays, that you know we get all of the relatives of all of the um, players and family members uh, supporting us as well. So you know, it's it's cool and absolutely that. Uh, you know, you, you carry that chip on your shoulder being a youper because you know you're going to have to really earn it when you get down there. Well, what is this off season going to look like, and what are some of your expectations going into next year? You know, I uh, it, it's cool to think that you know we're replacing six starters or three starters next year. Six was last year, and you know, I I alluded to in another interview before. I said uh, I will probably say I'm replacing six starters because Lexi Shaler is that valuable. That, you know, between her bat, her arm, her speed, and everything she does, you know, we got to somehow go to the drawing board and find find kids to replace every aspect that she was able to bring to the table. But uh, our kids play a lot of summer travel ball, so uh, I believe I've got a lot of kids already playing softball this coming weekend and the following. So uh, they'll, they'll, they'll find their niche in the role for next year as well. Yeah, pretty extensive travel ball program. Tell me about that, how you came to be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, our kids will usually play local. Uh, the younger girls, a lot of times, will start off with the heartbreakers. Um, 906 Fast Pitch has taken off. That's been a, a, a vital tool to build our program. Um, those kids have been traveling in the Midwest and, and just playing as high of a circuit as we can. Uh, Gabby took off years ago, and, uh, as, you know, hats off to her for, uh, you know, the games that she's played along the way to get herself ready for those big games as well. Gary Salo, the head softball coach at Escanaba, the Eskimos winning the state title Saturday over Lakeshore. Gary, as always, appreciate the time. Congrats again on your title. Oh, hey, thank you very much. We appreciate the coverage. We know that, uh, like you said, anytime a UP team's down there, uh, we know that there's a lot of people listening. Let's take another time out. When we come back, Michigan continues their run toward a College World Series title tonight. We'll break it down for you next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, get the ESPN-UP app from the Apple iStore or Google Play just look up ESPN-UP. You can hear this show on demand. You can hear it live. Hear anything ESPN has to offer with this free mobile app. You can hear the NBA draft on it this Thursday. 
Coverage begins at 7 o'clock here on ESPN-UP. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot I want to get into here in the final 10 or so minutes that I have you for. One thing to note, the Superior Land Baseball League, they have postponed their game tonight between Nagani and Channing. That will be made up Thursday the 27th in Channing. So Thursday, June 27th, Nagani and Channing in Channing. Well, I tell you what, before we get out to TD Ameritrade Park, when we start talking College World Series, a little bit of turmoil. All is not well with the Houston Rockets. A new report says there is tension among several players, including James Harden and Chris Paul. However, General Manager Daryl Morey doesn't believe that necessarily to be a bad thing. We have two high-level competitors, Chris and James, who their only goal in life at this point is to win the title. They have They've accomplished everything else. They're both going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, so, all you know, basically, all two competitive superstars at that level. Uh, there's going to be times when they're extremely competitive, extremely uh, uh, focused on you know how do we get to that next level, and when we don't, there's going to be frustration. And um, we're, I'm frustrated. Our top players are frustrated. Mike D'Antoni's frustrated. Uh, we want to take the last step and be the champion, and uh, uh, I think it's good that there's. I think it's good that there's tension uh, in the sense that uh, we all want to win. Couple of things. I'm not sure that Chris Paul is even going to be a Hall of Famer, let alone a first ballot selection. Secondly, they're trying to extend Mike D'Antoni as head coach. I tell you what, I don't think that the formula D'Antoni plus Harden plus Chris Paul equals a championship. I really don't. And that's not to take away from anything from what either of those three have accomplished. I think they're all excellent at their respective jobs. But here's the deal. Chris Paul wanted to be a little bit more off-ball. He didn't want to be a ball-dominant point guard. He got that wish and then some. Be careful what you wish for. Because that came true a little more than Chris Paul would have liked. James Harden is about as ball-dominant as they come. But is that James Harden style of basketball? Or is that the way he's coached? Is that the system that Mike D'Antoni lays out as head coach? Because Harden wasn't this ball dominant when he was at Oklahoma City. When Kevin McHale was the head coach, James Harden wasn't this ball dominant. This is Mike D'Antoni's system. Mike D'Antoni completely eliminates the mid-range game. Everything is either layups or three-pointers. So I understand Chris Paul wanted to be a little more off-ball, especially as he gets up there in age. But it's too much for his liking. One way or another... That combination, Harden, D'Antoni, Paul, will not equal a championship for Houston. One of them has got to go, at least one. Harden, they've made it clear, he's not going anywhere. He's the guy that Houston is going to build around. They're trying to extend D'Antoni. He's not going anywhere. That means Chris Paul's the odd man out. I'm not saying that's what should happen, but I think that's what's going to happen, or what would be the most likely thing to happen. After getting ousted by the Warriors again... The Rockets fired their entire assistant coaching staff, which tells you it's probably the system. It's probably the game plan. So does that mean D'Antoni's going to change his game plan? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. And Chris Paul might want to be off ball once in a while, but he doesn't want to be off ball all the time like he is playing with James Harden. So those two are going to butt heads. And the Rockets have made it clear Harden is the one they want long term. They'd like to have them both. But it's just not going to work in the system D'Antoni runs. And it's a good segue into something that touched me over the weekend regarding Major League Baseball. You all know I'm a lifelong Twins fan. And this weekend they retired Joe Maurer's number 7. 
I felt like a little kid again. I was seeing and hearing Michael Kadire, Johan Santana. It was nostalgic for me. Maurer is one of the best to ever wear the Twins uniform. But is Joe Maurer Hall of Famer? He's kind of in a weird position right now. I can tie this into Chris Paul. Because is Chris Paul a Hall of Famer? Probably about on that same threshold as Joe Maurer. He's a borderline Hall of Famer. You could throw Eli Manning in there too. Guys that are right on the threshold. I may be biased. I may not be totally objective. But he did win three batting titles. I would like to see Maurer get in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if that's ever going to come as part of a sports writer decision. Maybe a Veterans Committee selection. Either way, I want to see it happen. I was having one heck of a Minnesota weekend. I tell you what, up here in the UP, I was bringing Minnesota here. Had a Mighty Ducks marathon yesterday. I got my jersey on today. Those are kind of campy, kind of cheesy movies, yet they're still pretty good. They're among the classics. My favorite one is number two, where they compete in the World Juniors and the movie they called it the Junior Goodwill Games or something like that. All kinds of holes in the plot, but I could live with that. For one thing, qualifying for that tournament, Team USA didn't have to do any of that. They just assembled a team and showed up. Secondly, most of Team USA was compiled of a group of kids who had no idea, no business being on an ice rink in the first movie, which was set just one year prior. Third of all, the arch nemesis in that movie, Iceland, did not even have a national team when that movie was made back in 1994. In fact, the first ever game for the Icelandic national hockey team came five years later in 1999, and they got drubbed by the hockey powerhouse that is Israel. Other than that, I enjoyed the movie. I'm debating whether to watch Mighty Ducks 3 or not. But I tell you what, a number of you will be watching Michigan take on Florida State, the second game in Omaha for each of them. Michigan advancing with a 5-3 win over Texas Tech on Saturday. Jordan Brewer started the scoring with a sack fly in the top of the first. Michigan built a 4-0 lead before the Red Raiders got on the board, and that would be more than enough as the Wolverines win their first game in Omaha in three and a half decades. They take on a Florida State team that won a defensive barn burner over Arkansas 1-0. Nander DeSantis sacrifice fly in the top of the proved to be the difference. Each team had five hits and one error, but that lone run gives Florida State a new record, and that is for most shutouts at the Collegiate World Series. So now you have two teams that were among the last four to qualify for the field of 64, meeting tonight with a chance for one of them to get solely in the driver's seat. Michigan had 41 wins as they settled in, waiting to hear their name called on selection day. The problem was their strength of schedule. The NCAA wasn't sure about the quality of many of those wins. Michigan has far and away proved them wrong. Florida State got into the NCAA tournament as a three-seed in the regional round. It was the first time since 2011 they didn't host a regional, which means you're a one-seed, one of the top 16 nationally. Mike Martin is the nation's winningest head coach. He's been there 40 years. He's been to the College World Series 17 times. He's been in the Championship Series twice, yet he's never won it. So you've got arguably the two most compelling stories in the tournament battling tonight. And again, double elimination tournament, each are 1-0 at Omaha. Other games this weekend, Vanderbilt beat Louisville 3-1 yesterday, a game that was really well played by both sides. And then last night, Mississippi State scores four in the bottom of the night. They rally to walk off Auburn 5-4. So Auburn and Louisville will play an elimination game tomorrow afternoon. Vanderbilt and Mississippi State tomorrow at 7 a lot of implications on that game as well. By the way, you can check out Michigan and Florida State this evening right here on ESPN-TV. First pitch again set for 7 o'clock. Hey, I tell you what, before we sign off, 
two interesting stories just popped up here in the last hour that I want to share with you and give you some thoughts on before we sign off. One coming out of the NFL, more specifically Foxborough, Massachusetts. Nick Casario, the general manager of the New England Patriots. Last week, the Patriots filed a tampering charge against Houston because they believe that Houston was trying to contact Casario about their vacant general manager job. Now, a report says that Casario wants to leave the Patriots and he wants to be the general manager of the Texans. It was first reported by Ben Volin of the Boston Globe. He's got one year remaining on his contract, but it looks like New England isn't going to let him out. They want him to stay. And the Texans appear to want Casario just as much as he wants them. Head coach Bill O'Brien and executive VP Jack Easterby are going to handle GM duties for the 2019 season. This comes after Houston shockingly fired Brian Gain on June 7th after only one season. This has also come up within the last hour. You heard me mention earlier in the show that the Pelicans must really have their sights set on somebody at the number four overall pick in this year's draft, somebody we must not be looking at. Well, it appears that the Pelicans do have a plan for that fourth overall pick, and it may not be to use it, it may be as trade bait. A new report says that the New Orleans Pelicans are monitoring Washington guard Bradley Beal, and they're willing to trade away the fourth overall pick in this year's draft to get him. I mentioned Jim Rutherford in the show already. How about the Pelicans? They're wheeling and dealing, making all kinds of moves. If they get Bradley Beal, it doesn't hurt so much that you weren't able to get Kuzma. And despite the pressure of having Lonzo Ball, more specifically his dad, then you still are going to bring in a top-tier guard. By the way, to touch on that point, LaMelo Ball also announced he is going to Australia to play basketball. So LaMelo is going to go to the NBL. So LeVar's going to be putting the miles on, can't be two places at once, thankfully, for the Pelicans. This may end up being a good tool for the Wizards as well. There are a lot of really good guards, a lot of good ball handlers in this year's draft. John Wall is going to miss the upcoming season. He had Achilles repair surgery. He's under a four-year, $170 million Supermax contract that will begin next season. Yeah, you hate to part with Bradley Beal. Yeah, it's going to be tough going the next couple of years. But you get the right piece, you hit a home run with that fourth overall pick, you're going to really give yourself a chance. Tomorrow, we're going to be having a little golf talk on the show. The Symmetra Tour comes back to the UP, and they will be teeing off this weekend down in Harris. I'm joined by one of the golfers tomorrow as we preview what should be a really fun weekend and a great weekend of golf up here in the UP, albeit maybe a little bit cold. I heard the high for the next four days or so is supposed to be 60-something. Enjoy today's weather while you can, ladies and gentlemen. You can enjoy this show again or any parts that you missed by getting our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. Signing off in the ESPN-UP WZAM studios, my name is Tanner Hoops. I'll catch you cats tomorrow. Here's Will Kane.